welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Illinois with Bird and Cam. This is your boy, Bird, and as always with me, often funny and beautiful Cam. Cam, how you doing? Good. I'm currently losing my arm right now to my dog. He it's his playtime, <laughs> so he's been a little bit of a distraction, but I'm good. It was just my birthday, so yeah, I happy, celebrated. Happy belated. Thank you, thank you. Got I'm it. an official adult. I'm 26. Yeah, um, yeah. It's pretty soon I'm gonna have to send you that life alert. Yeah, I was gonna say because <laughs> my whole body hurts. Right I'm falling and I can't get up. It's but big. I'm excited. I'm excited for this this uh, next episode. I feel like we haven't done it in such a long time. Yeah, it's been it's been two weeks exactly since we did the uh, the double special of John Wayne Gacy, and it, we got a lot of feedback on this. I yeah. mean, the biggest one we did yet. I mean, almost two hours. When you think about this, and we did it on the fly, like first recording, we were like, "Fuck it, we're gonna do it," and we did that shit because it's fucking John Wayne Gacy. And, yeah, like, we already like. We're from Illinois, so we probably have some type of internal, like, DNA that just knows about John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, I mean, it's just, this guy did, like, again, what we said, he is, like, if you have to have a Mount Rushmore of serial killers in American history, he has got to be on there. No no doubt. Yeah, man. It's just crazy. It's cool, though. It's, I really enjoyed the feedback. Thank you for everyone who gave us feedback and told us. Also, that they had some weird story with John Wayne Gacy. I wish you told us before we said the story. Yeah, so. like, because we got a lot of, you know, crazy shit afterwards. I was like, damn, if we could have used that. like I know, right, you guys? If you have information about this, this is why we post on our social media before we fucking podcast it. So you guys can tell us shit that we don't know. Yeah. But I'm ready, and I'm, I'm excited. I just want to also remind us this is our next episode, and again... I know this is very, very well detailed, Bird. You have a lot, a lot of information on this. But if there's someone out there that has information that we say that they know that we say incorrectly or we offend someone. Oh, please do on this one. Please let us know at KillinoisPodcast at gmail.com. If you're offended by something or we say some incorrect fact, please let us know at KillinoisPodcast.com. Uh, wait, Podcast at gmail.com. Gmail.com. Yeah, because, you know, I do, when we do, like, when we do the research for this, I don't know if I can speak for you, but I definitely do, like, have this mentality of, is this going to be the episode where we get hit with libel? And I think this one might take the cake here. And especially because, you know, I kind of have a personal, I want to say personal, but, like, I, you know, I know this, this case, like, the back of my hand, and without further ado... Should we just do the fucking thing? Let's do the damn thing. Let's do the fucking damn thing. So we're going to do Curtis Lovelace. So Curtis Lovelace was grew up in central Illinois, where he had line as a star athlete and scholar at Quincy High School. He eventually enrolled at the University of Illinois, where he studied business administration and was considered one of the top offensive linemen in the Big Ten. He was a team captain who led the Illinois Fighting Illini to the Big Ten Championship his senior year. According to Bob Gold, a journalist in an interview that was featured on 48 Hours, and oh, we will get to 48 Hours later on in this show, boys and girls. According to Bob Gold, Curtis Loveless was a two-time All-Big Ten, even got a look at free agent camp in the NFL. 
He had a bad knee injury, which was not sure if he was going to make it to the NFL, but it certainly didn't help the situation. But being a smart kid, Curtis already had other goals in mind. While at Illinois, Curtis started a long-distance relationship with Corey Dickerson. There you they, go. They, did I say it right? You did. Well, I'm I thought, proud honestly, when I first read it, I thought you incorrectly spelled Mm-mm, it. That's how, yeah, that's how it said. I was like, oh, I hope she's not going to fuck this one up. She's like, she got it on the first one. I got it. I got it. I'm good at that. Um, but anyways, the, these two met in high school, but they actually started dating when they left for college. She was studying communications at the University of Iowa, and she just had the perfect smile. Corey's mother, Marty did. Dickerson. Dickerson. There we go. Yeah, I know. Like when they were saying it at the trial, like I was like, like I was just getting that the D's wrong, but like Dickerson. There. Yep. Point in my life, I did have a speech impediment, so this is what my line of defense I can come at. But we're not perfect, folks. Guys have normal last names that I can read. But anyways, and. Anyways, back to Corey's mother, what she said about Corey's, she just smiled at everyone, and she just did stuff. Steve Belko uh, and Beth uh, Dobzronska, Dobzronska, I almost had this one. Almost, almost, Dobrinsky. Dobrinsky. Yep. These are are just so hard to do, folks. Like, you try reading this, and it's like... No, I didn't know the version. I'm just fucking drunk right now, and it's... I'm glad I'm not like actually in front of the camera and like oh, I'm man. free because like the it's like blurred, you know? Like how can you read that shit? Okay, anyway. <laughs> uh, but uh Dabronsky, who grew up with Corey, both of uh Steve and Beth, they grew up with Corey and Curtis in Quincy, Illinois. And they both had described the pair individually as great and together as a loving couple. Corey was very vibrant, dynamic. A little bit of a stubbornness, and she was a pistol, and everyone loved her for that. I think that was her most endearing quality. That's what friend uh, Steve Belko stated. And Kurt was easygoing. He was a gentleman, fun-loving, and intelligent. So, a gentleman. So it didn't take long before their relationship got serious. And in 1991, just one year after Curtis's graduation, they were married. And as Belko has said, uh, who was Curtis's best friend, uh, best man, and Dobrinsky was uh, Corey's bridesmaid, Belko has said it was one of the best days, you know, in their lives. Uh, Corey was beautiful. It was a great night. They were very happy. The, pi- the, the pictures you know you could see on their faces, whether it was cutting the cake, dancing, or walking around or talking to people, it was a magical night. Now, with Corey by his side, Curtis Loveless had really grand plans. You know, he attended law school. Eventually made assistant state attorney in the city in Quincy. And as Dobrinsky had said later that Corey was all about family. They had a great, she had a great childhood growing up and she just wanted a big family, the happy marriage. And so they did. In 1993, their first child, Lindsay, was born and they would later have three sons, Logan, Lincoln, and Larson. So as this was happening, Bluffs was doing big shit. And in 2005, he opened up his own law firm while he was at the the state's attorney's office. And years later, he left to concentrate his own practice. And if that schedule wasn't busy enough, Loveless was elected president of the school board. 
He became a captain at the Illinois National Guard and an adjunct professor at Quincy University. He definitely was a pillar of his community. No question about it. Go remarked. But friends say with power came ego. And I just felt kind of like started to talk down to me more and more each time I saw him, said Schrader. He became, he became arrogant more and more, yes, Belko said. There's a little bit of hollier than though. Maybe you were entitled to this living, but I think he lost friends over time because of that, Belko remarked. The situation at home also had been changing. While Curtis had spent years and years focused on his professional life, the long hours away from Corey and the kids were starting to take a toll on their personal life. So, so neighbors. There now. Oh, kind of, kind of lost you. So neighbors around the Loveless House uh, on Kentucky Street had said that in the months leading up to, uh, in but in 2006, they had heard loud and contentious arguments between Corey and Curtis. By many accounts, both were heavy drinkers. And in this small community, you know what it is where everybody knows about everybody's shit. So. It was known at times there was a tremendous amount of turmoil at the home. And even worse, that it was rumor on the street that Corey had suffered from bulimia. Um, this is something that her family has admitted in the rumors. And when the windows started coming out, known alcoholism. There were people who had said that you know they saw her drinking here or out about. And people knew that she had an alcohol problem. But I don't think they knew to the extent. But somehow... Despite all of this, Curtis and Corey had managed to keep the problems away from the closest friends, and while some, like Belko, who years before moved away from the small town. But Amy Herkert, a longtime friend of the Lovelaces, would testify later during a second trial that Loveless had told her that the marriage had been been in trouble for many months. As Herkert had recalled on the stand, he would tell me that she would lock him out of the house, that they would fight, and he would sleep in the car. I mean, it was some, some really heavy shit. And Dale Schimmelback, a neighbor, had said that the Lovelaces had kind of backed up what Herker said with frequently arguing. We heard arguing so many times, he had testified, that I can remember one time specifically being awakened by an argument at their house. And another where I closed my windows because I didn't want to hear them yell. And uh, everything pretty much leads to Valentine's Day 2006. Loveless claimed that Corey was up that morning preparing the children's Valentine's Day's cards and even doing laundry for one of the kids. Now, according to Loveless, the last time he saw her was right before he took the kids to school. 45 minutes later, he returned home. He was doing some work on his laptop. He went up the stairs where his four-year-old son Larson was waiting. When entering the bedroom, Loveless said that he found Corey in an unresponsive state, already sensing the worst. Corey was dead. That's what I saw. That's what I saw, Loveless said on the stand during the second trial. I didn't know what to do. I shook her. I yelled at her. With emotions in his voice, Loveless quickly collected himself. I hope I never have to go through that again. I remember thinking this can't be happening. She has to be alive. And Loveless stated that he picked up Larson and took him to the home of Corey's mother, Martha Dirjickson. According to Martha's testimony, Loveless dropped off Larson and stated, Oh, by the way, Corey's dead. In a very nonchalant way. Think of it like saying in the town, like, Oh, 
I just took the garbage out. Or, no, we're not having sex tonight. <laughs> it's just that time, you know? It's just whatever. You know, it's very cold-hearted. You, you don't even bother to think about it twice. Yeah. Her, Loveless could not really verify making the statement. All he could say is, I can't remember when I, uh, what I said to Marty. He said, uh, when Belko got a call from Curtis's father that Corey had died. Oh, I'm missing a paper. Hold on. Is that the next part? Yeah, next part. Very good. Oh, man. My, I thought my papers were screwed up. Okay. Sorry about that, guys. But anyways. Ne- we never uh, plan to be perfect again, folks. Like I said, we're just doing this on the fly. But anyways... Um, back to what I was stating earlier. However, Loveless cannot verify making a statement. He said, I can't remember what I said to Marty. And when Belko got the call from Curtis's father that Corey died, he said, listen, I got some bad news. And I just couldn't believe it. No, that doesn't happen. She's my age. She's healthy. That doesn't just come from nowhere, Belko said. Something's wrong. And... There was no doubt something is terribly wrong. But but nothing happens. And the Adams County coroner originally ruled Corby's death as being of natural causes. And uh, as Adam, uh, well, within six months after we're getting ahead of ourselves, but within six months after the death of Corby, Curtis Loveless began dating a student in his class that he taught in Quincy, Erica Gomez, who was eight years his junior. They married two years later, but the marriage ended in 2003. And Loveless quickly moved on and rekindled a relationship with his childhood sweetheart, Christine, who he married the following year. Now, it was around that same time that a newly promoted detective at the Quincy Police Department, Adam Gibson, took a fresh look at Corey's death. In the 48 Hours uh, interview, he disclaimed how he saw, when he saw the uh, autopsy pictures and how he was just really befuddled. And as he said, and I quote, I was at the office just reading old case files and a loveless case popped into my head. He said, the more Detective Gibson read about this eight year case, the more he was intrigued. This particularly the, the general description of the, the hands. And, you know, I saw in the second trial, uh, they showed the uh, autopsy pictures. And, you know, uh, thank God I didn't eat that day because like I was it, they showed her hands like being. Like her elbows was her arms were bent and the elbows were like bizarrely frozen in the air and it was just like upside down push up kind of yeah, it's like so you see my hands I don't know if you guys can't see it if like my hands yeah. are like up right and it's just frozen like this almost like so, like she was trying to stop something exactly like yeah and it's just like what the fuck like. I I know we soon when we all have to croak and you know we're gonna have to be stopped in motion, but like it was just so fucking bizarre. Like it wasn't, I, it wasn't a natural death position. But that, exactly, it wasn't like you see somebody just like that. You know, it was just something was just very. It was fishy. It was very fishy, and that was. Were just, her eyes open or were they closed? If I remember correctly, oh boy, don't quote me on this. I remember the eyes were open. Oh shit! What were they? Okay, I'm I'm getting way too detailed. I, yeah, I you're getting I way too detailed because, like, yeah, that's I don't want to get uh, oh shit, hit with libel. But anyway, vessels in her eyes that looked like they popped. <laughs> uh, so, Gibson consulted King County Coroner James Keller, who was the Adams County Deputy Coroner in 2006, and Keller had remembered that the uh, case really vividly, and he said that it bothered him for years. 
and he encouraged Keller, he encouraged Gibson to continue with the investigation. So Gibson investigated secretly out of the public eye. He consulted the original pathologist, Dr. Jessica Bowman, who had ruled the death undetermined or natural causes. Bowman told Gibson that she would no longer participate in the, in the case, but she sent him for another opinion to another pathologist that she knew in Chicago, Dr. Shakutis. Yeah, that's just as weird as I sounded. Um, she said basically that she saw nothing suspicious about the death that Gibson said about T's ruling, and that's something that she would reiterate in the second trial, but getting ahead of ourselves again. So Nat satisfied, Gibson sought yet another opinion, and this one he got in Dr. Jane Turner, an assistant medical examiner in St. Louis. Now, <laughs> now Turner had found in her examination that there was evidence in the photographs of rigor mortis at the positions as we was just, as I was talking about the mis positions of the hands was unusual. Like the hands weren't resting on uh, surface and like we said rigor mortis is when you know when we croak it's chemical changes in the in the muscles that causes the limbs to stiffen pretty much the rest of your body dies yeah and it occurs as soon as four hours post-mortem now according to Turner's report she stated it uh, in the case of Corey Loveless it stated between 10 to 12 hours and pretty much, Dr. Turner said that Corey Lovelace had died the night before. Curtis Lovelace, however, in his police statement, and which he reiterated again on the stand, said that he had talked to his wife less than an hour before on that morning, finding her dead. So based on the photos, the autopsy report, and the police reports, Dr. Turner pinpointed the cause of death, suffocations at the hands of another. A pillow was used to suffocate her. Hmm. So Detective Gibson apparently has a cause of death. And it seems that business has picked up. But there's one big problem. The three oldest loveless children alleged they saw their mother alive that morning, sitting on the stairs. The one thing I do know is the science of Corey Loveless doesn't match the story, said Gibson. And Gibson believed the children may have simply been mistaken because they weren't really interviewed by the original detective, Jeff Baird, until about two days after their mother's death. So Gibson goes on with the investigation. In his smoking gun of sorts in the form of Loveless's second wife, Erica Gomez. Now, do you guys remember her? Oh, boy. Gomez said that Loveless was a violent man relationship especially when she went as far as trying poisoning her allegedly and then Gomez describes a story where Loveless is in bed drunk telling her how he remembered how it felt her withering under him prosecutors would use Loveless and what he was talking about to about with his late wife the defense would later counter that he was talking about a cat yeah. Nevertheless, what if Paul? I'm about to cut you off for a second, Cabot. What if he did that to Sophie? But my thing is like, okay, if he's talking like that mm -hmm. to an animal, isn't that still kind of like? It's really disturbing. Like, yeah, even, like, yeah. In other words, like, oh, I um, I killed a cat, and I love the way it was squirming underneath. Yeah, me. I mean, even that. What I remember when I heard that on the stand, it it was just, huh. <laughs> 
heard him say it. Say it. Did he it, like? Uh, was he dry about it, or was he like? Well, apparently, as as the like I said, they were bad. And he was drunk, and he was like, you know, how it is when you're drunk and you're just talking out your ass. And but that's the thing. The most Everything honest people. Is true the most honest people. Exactly. The most honest people are children and drunk people. Exactly. Exactly. Don't forget old people. They don't give a fuck. Oh yeah, either. they don't give a fuck either. Yeah. <laughs> so nevertheless, this was the information that Gibson felt that he needed, and on August twenty seventh, two thousand and four. Loveless was arrested by Gibson. Loveless had said that he was on his way to meet his third wife, Christine, at her store when he was approached by Gibson. He said uh, he went up to shake his hand, but then the officer said, put your hands behind your back, and off he went. So, the trial, the first trial didn't, didn't commence until about a year and a half later, and it was held in January 20, in 2016 in Adams County. It included testimony of the loveless children who again said that they saw their mother the morning of the death before going to school. And the daughter, Lindsay, who originally told the same story when questioned by police shortly after Corey's death, had later testified that she couldn't remember whether or not she saw her mother hours before she was found dead. And in addition, dueling pathologists had the different explanations on how and when Corey had died. Now, the first trial, Dr. Turner again had testified that the position of Corey's hands held upward supported the conclusion that she had been suffocated with the pillow. And by contrast, uh, the defense had put uh, Dr. George Nichols, who testified that an enlarged liver and signs of bulimia showed that Corey Loveless had died during the natural causes. Uh, Dr. Jessica Bauman, who preferred the NIT to perform the initial autopsy, couldn't pinpoint a cause of the death and was not intending to testify. But it also, Bowman had a really fucked up history as a pathologist. Uh, she was once employed by the Sacramento County Coroner's Office. But Sacramento, and, uh, State's Attorney John Millinster had such little confidence in her work that he refused to put her on the stand as a witness in murder cases. But arguably the key in this one was Erica Gomez's testimony during the initial investigation that Curtis had confessed to killing Corey, Corey was not admitted in this trial. So after 16 and a half hours of jury deliberations over two days, Judge Robert Hardwick declared it a mistrial. Oh, man. And you could see Curtis's current wife. She was sobbing. Three loveless boys all holding hands before the verdict was reached. It was unreal. And I felt so empty and out of breath. And the only thing I could do was hug my kids and let them know it is going to be okay. And I'm going to be okay. That's what Christine Loveless said of the jury's decision. I think probably five of the jurors said, there's no way anybody is going to ever change my mind. And two of those, I think, were for guilty. Three for not guilty. Uh, juror Mike Hayden said, and that just deflated me so much. And so was that, a hung jury. And then right after, the second trial started. And that started to get underway. The trial was moved to Sangamon County in downtown Springfield due to an extensive pre-trial publicity in Quincy area. And this time, it was all or nothing for Loveless. And he rejected an offer to plead guilty to second-degree murder. And he prepared to stand trial a second time for first degree murder. So, so this is where I kind of come in to a bit. Um, I remember I was this was like my second month 
uh, as an intern at Illinois Times. And, you know, I'm there to be a to work pretty much Illinois politics like that was that's what my class and that's what my internship had stated. So my editor in chief was like, oh, hey, Alex, uh, uh, are you interested in doing a murder trial? And I was like, huh, like for real, reals? He was like, yeah, so there's big cases going on. Uh, he filled me in with the details and he said, yeah, this is going to um, it's going to have the tree trial hearing at the end of January. Uh, it's going to be in uh, Virginia, Illinois. You ever heard of it? Of course, fucking not. So if anybody's been to Virginia, Illinois, let me tell you something. That place has little to no reception. There is no Wi-Fi. Fuck that shit. There is no way I'd ever live there. But in case, any case, um, there was at the Cass County Courthouse at the pre-trial hearing for the second trial of Loveless. And I remember I had my eyes concentrated on Loveless during that whole proceeding. And I remember he appeared at ease. He was chewing gum in the courtroom, even while he was on the stand. Just looking so unconcerned as he spoke with like supporters in the gallery. However, the, the, the hearing didn't go well for the defense because Hardrick had determined that testimony that from Erica Gomez would be inadmissible. So... At face value, that thinking that was going to be the haunt the cami is taking a picture of me. Sorry, do you see Doug in the background? Dougie. So, at face value, her presence looked to be a major coup for the prosecution. They had previously filed a motion again before the first trial to include Gomez, but it was denied. And the defense looked to counter Gomez's presence by arguing that she was unreliable. So... This second trial, from a litigating standpoint, it was kind of different. They switched up, especially from the defense, they switched up uh, lawyers, and it kind of, on paper, it looked like to be a mismatch. And that's what, you know, people had told me. is like, so, the special prosecutor, uh, Edwin R. Parkinson, who had tried Loveless in the first trial, was like one of the top prosecutors in Central Illinois. He was like this folksy, matlockish attorney who had been a prosecutor for like five decades. And meanwhile, in contrast, Loveless was re represented by lawyers who concentrated on civil as opposed to criminal law. And his lead attorney, uh, a guy named John Lovey, uh, this was his first criminal case. First criminal case. But then get this. He had previously won 11 cases in a row. 20 out of 22 overall, and according to his law firm, firm's website, he won more than a hundred million dollars in settlements and verdicts for the clients. Get the fuck out. That is some fucking bank. So here we are at the second trial of, you know, Curtis Loveless. And again, it's just like, I guess that's why I kind of like take over and, uh, this is my first time ever in a courthouse, folks. And like, I've seen... I've seen a lot of like investigation discovery. Shout out Joe Kenda. I've seen a lot of. Uh, Man, I love you, Joe Kenda. <laughs> I've seen a lot of SVU, a lot of Law and Order, and like nothing prepared me for like that experience, you know, of actually covering a murder trial. And like I remember, uh, and I didn't even tell. I've waited to tell this story on on the air. Um, I remember they were doing jury selection. 
and I was on, I was in the bathroom, and I figured, okay, you know, I can might as well still a quick call. I'm call my grandma, just let her know what I'm doing. She's like, oh, you know, you, I'm doing a murder trial. I'm like, oh, do you, uh, do you think he did it? I was like, yeah, well, grandma, this is what I think. And right when I'm about to tell him about my theory, in comes Curtis Loveless and his defense attorney coming in the bathroom while I'm about to tell him who I think if he killed his wife or not. <laughs> like, oh, I was like, oh shit. Yeah, man. Like, God was looking out for me that day. I was like, and I switched the topics uh, so quick. I was like, yeah, so uh, you've been, uh, how was church and all that stuff? And it's like, huh? What are you talking about? It's like, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Something came up. So, I mean, it was just a lot of crazy stuff. And then there was another time I uh, fell asleep during uh, during the trial. So, they were, it was, they had like so Hi. many, they had, like, the prosecution had so many like character witnesses and it was just lagging. I was drinking the night before I went out and I came in hungover, which again I <laughs> I never I, please don't if you ever in that situation I am, don't ever do it. And, Not like school and drinking and it's Yeah. A whole other level. <laughs> so like I am I am just fading in and out and I am fighting the urge to stay awake. And I just close my eyes, and the next thing I know, the guy who works for uh, 48 hours, CBS tells me, hey, you're snoring. And I just woke up, and then next thing I know, everybody's looking at me. The judge is looking at me. The jury's looking at me. The, the, the lawyer's looking at me. Loveless and his family family's looking at me. I felt so embarrassed. I thought the lawyer, I thought the judge was gonna kick me out. Like I was just, it was just a whole bunch of comedy of errors. So back to like, you know, the, the getting serious. Now again, we talked about the key thing about the second trial that Gomez was going to testify, but eventually this comes at the prosecution's undoing. During cross examination, Lovey had asked. Uh, Gomez, why she didn't say that uh, Loveless was abusive during divorce proceedings. To which Go Gomez had answered that her lawyer didn't allow her to say she was assaulted because Loveless was the one who filed for divorce, which I, doesn't make any fucking sense. But first, filed yeah. for divorce in the first place because they're violent towards yeah, each other. Yeah, it just didn't make any sense. Oh, he has the upper hand. Like that. It just sounded flimsy. But furthermore, Lovely came to the, the Gomez that she was so enraged that Curtis was moving on with his current wife that after spotting the couple at dinner one night in late 2003, Gomez had sent a text to Loveless's daughter, Lindsay, telling her that her father had killed her mother. What? Yes. So, um... Was this during the time she was killed or before? This she was died? this was after. So this was at this was between this was after the second divorce, and this is when Loveless was went to uh, was had rekindled his relationship with his soon to be third wife. So Love so Lovey had you know he had bad not say battered but he had claimed that Gomez had said this, and at first she had denied it, and then she just broke down. She started crying. She was like, okay, I admitted it, and she just, like, she reiterated to the jury that Loveless was a bad man, and then she went against the pretrial agreement and alleged that, uh, again, Loveless had tried to poison her, and, like, you just heard all these gaps, and it was like, I remember the guy who's uh, covering this for CBS, he looked at me, and he was like, yeah, that's over, 
it's over pretty much. And after two hours and 20 minutes of deliberating, a jury filed Curtis Loveless not guilty in the murder of his wife, Corian, March 10th, 2017. Now, I, again, I guess I guess I have to uh, infuse another story. I remember that it was a, it was on a Friday, and they had the closing arguments, and I had asked the bailiff. He was like, "Yeah, so uh, when do you think this they're gonna have? You're gonna reach a verdict?" Like, "Oh." They're not going to have one till Monday, so you can do whatever you think I'm doing. And it turns out that Friday, I had tickets to see, uh, what's my man, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He was going to speak at the, uh, the Lincoln Presidential Library. So, I'm walking my little ass over there, and, like, I'm, like, right there. I got my ticket. I'm about to, you know, I'm like, man, this is about to be a good weekend. About to have all these plans. And next thing I know, I get a text on my phone. Verdict is reached in Curtis Loveless trial. Now, if anybody who knows from walking distance from the museum to the courthouse, that's about 30 minutes. And they said people are filing in and it's intimate. intimate. So I have to haul ass and dress shoes and tie and all this shit. And I am just sweating bullets. I walk, run in there like the last second. And right when they were like, oh, and have you reached, an, uh, have you reached the uh, verdict? They did, and they called, found him not guilty, and like it was just a wave of emotions. Of course, the Loveless family is crying in tears of joy. Uh, Corey's family is just obviously, you know, distraught, and it was just like it was really pandemonium. You know, just like it's everything that you would see like on TV in the courtroom. Like, man, this was just so surreal. It's interesting, though. That he got off the hook. Like, I yeah. feel that there was probably not correct documentation at one point. They probably didn't get the right evidence. Mm-hmm. You don't just die with your arms hanging up. Yeah. Like, unless you're falling from something. And, and- right. And one of the big clinches that we didn't talk about for that, at least the, the, the defense had argued, was that when uh, Adam Gibson was, you know, looking for. Uh, a pathologist to support his theory. You know, it's what it's uh, pretty much what they call doctor shopping. You know, he went to two uh, pathologists who said that they didn't find any evidence that supported uh, that she was suffocated, and he kept going to this. And they said that he suppressed, uh, he allegedly suppressed information uh, between, I believe it was Jessica Bowman. And that really, I felt like that contributed to the jury saying, okay, we kind of find this inadmissible. And it just really didn't help matters to the prosecution. But I remember, like, you know, just uh, just takeaways from the the trials. Like, the defense attorney, Lovey, he looked like, it looked like the roles were reversed. Like, he was the one experienced. And Parkinson just kind of really... And how I saw it just kind of like melded in. Like he just knew, okay, uh, we had him the first time and, you know, circumstances happened and we're just going to do the same thing. And I guess they figured that, okay, Erica Gomez is going to be the star witness. She's going to nail this guy. And it backfired on him. Bing. And, yeah, it was just, it was a very, again, it was a very surreal experience just, you know, being at that trial. That's crazy. It's just, I have so many questions, though. It's like, yeah, 
did they, I, I still think it was um, a detailed investigation, mm-hmm. but after that, I just, if there's evidence of him being violent and being a drunk and shit like that, and why didn't they look into that? Yeah. And I mean, it's, 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 it's really hard, like, from my perspective, it's like, she was found, like, the rigor mortis was set in for 12 hours. So... It was there for a while. Yeah, it was there for a while. She died the night... They said that she died the night before, so it's very hard to see that body just set in full rigor. That takes 12 hours. And how old were the kids when their mom passed? Um, At the time... Well, the youngest was four years old. Uh... I can't quote, uh, I know that ones with, Lindsay was the oldest and she was 13, 12, 13. So, um, I, I don't know. I would have asked them like, Oh, if you saw your mom that day, what was she wearing? Mm-hmm. If they can't remember that, then, then clearly shoot. They didn't see her that morning. Yeah. So, I just, it's far too complicated. It and is. they didn't examine him, which, Clearly, her arms are so it's a struggle. She type of struggle. Uh-huh. How? Why are your Why are your hands that position? You just don't. In my opinion, you don't have you know a natural depth from just your hands elevated while your body's in full rigor again after at least twelve hours. It was just it, it was hard to, to to not think about it. I mean I understand you didn't have concrete evidence. You did you had to go on circumstantial evidence per se. But at the same time, like you were staying with the rigor mortis being at that twelve hour mark, it's proof that it's been there for that long. Exactly. Science can't beat fiction can no. can beat fiction. Like saying they saw their mom, clearly you didn't see your mom or you saw someone who looked like her. But it wasn't her because she's been dead for 12 hours. Yeah. It's just, it's sad seeing that that's how her life ended. Yeah. The poor decisions with alcohol and who she married, which she probably didn't think would be like this because Mm -hmm. that's probably the love of her life and someone to do that to her. Right. And I mean, again, like, and it was, it it, it was very, again, this is a very complicated, you know, it was a very complicated case to cover. Uh, again, just kind of research because again, you know, in the past, uh, we've we've seen uh, we've had motives to work with. Okay, this is why A did this to B, or we kind of get a you know a understanding into somebody's psyche. You know, in terms of a Jatasha Denton or uh, our, our our professor, good old uh, chewing gum professor, or of course John Wayne Gacy, but. We didn't have a, a concrete motive for it in case of Curtis Loveless. There was no life insurance that we know of. There was no uh, definitive affair, even though the rumor and innuendo, according to some, was that he had started in a relationship with Erica Gomez after, during uh, Corey was still alive, but that was never confirmed, and we don't want to get hit with libel, so rumor and innuendo. Don't quote that on us. But you would think if that was the rumor, mm-hmm. the girl- out, not yeah, exactly. But what I find interesting is since it seems so out of character, other than their drunk, you know, violent nights, uh-huh. what if it was a violent rage. Yeah, what it, it could have been. Mean, 
maybe he was cheating on her and she found out it was a violent drunk rage. Uh-huh. But, I don't know. I don't know. There was no, no marks to show that he was hitting her or anything. But, you don't just die with your arms hanging. Yeah. At the end of the day, two people know what really happened and one is dead. I think that's... Yeah. That's the, you know, the biggest thing in all this. And um, we interviewed Loveless right after uh, the verdict. And uh, he just looked like the weight of the world was off his shoulders, knowing that he was going to be able to spend more time with his family as a free man. And he said that it was amazing how the truth finally comes out. And um, again, we talked about 48 hours. Like, uh, if you guys go on YouTube... And go and type in 48 Hours of Loveless. Is it a 48 Hours or Crime Watch Daily? Which you will see for about a split second there. Uh, the end of the program. For about two, three, four seconds. You will see me on there. Walking down the courthouse. So you guys are never doing anything. What were you wearing? Tell them what you were wearing. I forgot what I was wearing. Like I what? was. I've never seen it. Like I'm, I'm like so photogenic. And, and like people. Like. Like. Uh. You remember Charles at, who works at the the at the UIS the grill not the grill but uh Pack Ballhead. He was oh, like yo. He's like yeah. I saw you on uh you were star. I was like what are you talking about? I saw you on Dateline the forty eight hours. I was like word. Yeah, he was covering the trial yeah. and like everybody was kind of like yeah. I saw you on TV. I was like oh shit. I'm a star big. <laughs> I'm on national television. Only that for about three seconds. But yes, you will find me. Um, go to YouTube. Go to Curtis Loveless. In either 48 hours or Crime Watch Daily, and you will see my slow black ass walking down the courthouse. And hey, if you guys have any comments on this uh, podcast, or if you this is an interesting case and look up fun, yeah. some fun information, let us know. Yeah. You can hit up on Facebook at Illinois Verdict Cam, Instagram is at Illinois Podcast, our title Illinois Verdict Cam, or you can email us. At Podcast at gmail.com, which is 1K in front of Illinois. So we hope to hear from you guys. Yeah, and on that note, uh, for Cam, this is Bird signaling off, and we will be back very shortly for a new episode of Illinois with Bird and Cam. (laughs) Peace Peace out, girls. Bye.